0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now, the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We expect a little help from our friends on today's show by bringing back some folks who have spoken with us uh, sometimes briefly, sometimes on many occasions to round out several topics, which I think we'll just address as they come along. We also may bring on some people we've never spoken to before. And after that incredibly nonspecific and vague beginning, (laughs) let's jump right into On This Date in History, the way we like to start this show. Our date in question is the 11th of October. It was October 11th of the year 1503 that the Portuguese navigator Vasco da Gama returned from his second voyage to India during which time he burned to death several hundred Muslims and massacred dozens of Hindu fishermen. We talked about some of Vasco da Gama's excesses a few weeks back in our talk with Nigel Cliff. We would refer you to our archives for that most fascinating discussion, which thankfully was not all about Portuguese atrocities. We unfortunately have to switch to British atrocities, for it was on October 11th in 1649 that the English Parliamentary General Oliver Cromwell crushed Royalist forces in Wexford, Ireland, at which time he massacred both soldiers and townspeople. Cromwell, first rate general, not much of a humanitarian. It was evidently a violent day in American history as well. On, on october eleventh, eighteen sixty two, during the American Civil War, a Confederate cavalry unit under General Stuart raided the vital Union Supply Center of Chancellorsburg, Pennsylvania, cut telegraph lines, seized horses and supplies, and destroyed everything else. And, and holy mackerel, on October 11th 1899, the South African Boer War began between the British Empire and the Boers of the Transvaal and Orange Free State. On October 11th in 1954, the Viet Minh occupy Hanoi and take control of North Vietnam after a nine-year guerrilla war against French colonial forces. Seven years later, on this date in 1961, at a meeting of the U.S. National Security Council, John F. Kennedy was told that 40,000 U.S. troops could defeat the Viet Cong in South Vietnam, that another 120,000 could deflect intervention by the North Vietnamese or Chinese. Well, that didn't pan out. On this date in 1971, during the Yom Kippur War, Israeli forces beat back the Syrian invasion in the Golan Heights. And finally... Thankfully, on October 11th in 1995, a report to the U.N. Security Council estimated that Saddam Hussein had enough chemical and biological weapons to destroy the population of the planet several times over. No radio parallax is not aware of whether that U.N. Security Council estimate was based on figures produced by Republican neocons. We kind of suspect it might have been. <laughs> but this might be a good point to add that That speculation, like all opinions heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But it is my personal hope that whoever came up with those figures for the U.N. Security Council back in 1995 is currently eating out of garbage cans. Our quote today comes from George Bernard Shaw, who once said, The liar's punishment is not in the least that he is not believed, but that he cannot believe anyone else. Our quote of the day comes from the columnist Lexington from The Economist, who said, Ideology is just a pejorative word for principles in which you happen not to believe. Our joke of the day, and it's not a joke in the conventional sense, but it's a great little story coming out of a book I read on Theodore Roosevelt, which uh, may be appropriate for this current political season we find ourselves in. But apparently, 106 years ago, back in 1906, Teddy Roosevelt was celebrating his appointment of Oscar Strauss as Secretary of Commerce and Labor. At uh, the celebration for this event, the president explained his choice. He had selected Strauss without regard to race, color, creed, or party. His concern, he said, had been only to find the most qualified man in the United States. This, he noted, Jacob Schiff would confirm. Schiff, presiding at the celebration, good-naturedly, senescent, wealthy, respectable, and, and, regrettably for Roosevelt, hard of hearing, at that point nodded, that's right, Mr. President, you came with me and said, shake, who's the best Jew I can appoint Secretary of Commerce? (laughs) Roosevelt's Secretary, William Loeb, persuaded the newspaperman present to suppress that particular exchange. You know, we got a bunch of stats piling up here. I think I'll just do one for the stat of the day, but return to some statistical uh, items uh, before the first segment is out. Our stat is $9.1 million. That is the gross taken to date of the film 2016, Obama's America, a political documentary by conservative author Dinesh D'Souza. It's apparently the sixth best-selling movie in the country last weekend, having extended from a limited run up to 1,091 cinemas nationwide. The central thesis of the film is that Barack Obama's worldview was shaped by the anti-colonialist, anti-white, and anti-Christian politics of his Kenyan father, and of course also a series of Marxist mentors. And no, apparently they're serious. If you've seen this movie, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and tell us what you thought. We, we, have some, we have some problems with the premises that this film appears to be based upon. But I think we have to do a bonus stat of the day, which is as follows. 37% of American voters say their political views are not well represented by any existing political party. 28% of us say their political views are represented well by the Democrats. says the GOP represents their views well. This is according to the Washington Times-Jay-Z analytics poll, which dovetails pretty well with uh, this item from New Scientist, September 29th issue. It notes that the Republican Party's skepticism about climate change does seem likely to play badly with voters who haven't yet decided on who they're going to vote for in November. A poll run by Yale University and George Mason University found that when it comes to their views on climate change, the undecideds look remarkably similar to supporters of Barack Obama. Of 1,061 people polled, about three-quarters were judged likely to vote based on their registration, stated intentions, and past turnout. Among them, just 27% of Romney backers believe global warming was human-caused, compared to 65% of Obama supporters. Now, of the 87 undecideds that turned up in this poll... 67% believed global warming was human-caused, and 61% said the issue would help guide their vote. They apparently were concerned about the fact that the Republicans were in denial over this important issue, and that apparently will affect how they vote in November, and that can't be good news for Mitt Romney. Now, in the wake of last week's uh, debate, during which time both candidates docked around most of the issues— There's this sort of consensus emerging that Romney did well. Romney, quote, won, unquote, the debate. This has reinvigorated his campaign to some degree. We would refer you to both Jim Giles' article in New Scientist and the website we've touted before in this program, 270towin.com. Unlike this nonsense about polls that talks about, you know, the overall votes where they blend together people in Alaska and Georgia with people in Hawaii and California... Both two seventy to win and uh, jim Jim Giles and the and New Scientist go by the electoral college, which is how we select our presidents and When you check that website out, you'll see that it is still looking very bad for Mitt Romney, which is something this correspondent finds uh a bit of a relief, being no fan of Barack Obama, but uh well concerned about the possibility of a Romney presidency, I personally am relieved that his odds are not looking so good right about now of course that could change uh, you know that could change in a heartbeat over the next three weeks we're going to watch uh, watch those polls and watch the uh, polls particularly in those key swing states very carefully but you know what let's jump into the good the bad and the ugly According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for the 1%, who are also the 47%, after the Congressional Research Service found that 2,362 people legally collected unemployment benefits in 2009, despite living in households with incomes of $1 million or more. On the other hand, it was a bad week last week for that coalition between right-wing Israelis and right-wing Christians in America, with news that the two largest U.S. Christian broadcasters have opened studios in Jerusalem, apparently to cover the Second Coming, and evidently while they're at it, to proselytize to Jews. California-based Trinity Broadcasting Network has just set up a studio in the Old City, and Texas-based Daystar has one next door that streams a live shot of the Mount of Olives where some believe Jesus' Second Coming will originate. Yes, I guess they're expecting to get Jesus live on camera as that whole second coming thing starts to ramp up. TBN co-founder Paul Crouch said the network will broadcast some shows in Hebrew, quote, to reach out to Jews and entice them to read the word of God and become what we call a completed Jew, unquote. For their part, some Israeli groups have said the proselytizing was offensive to them. An Israeli spokesman did not say... Listen, you think we don't know our own messiah? But I wish one would have. It turns out it was kind of an ugly week for renaming yourself in a colorful, creative fashion with this news item. Apparently in Akron, Ohio, a man who's renamed himself Natural Hunkah Kaboom, described as a regular at Akron City Council meetings, attended a session last Monday and left his metal walking stick outside the council chambers. The discovery of the rod with the name Kaboom on it (laughs) apparently prompted evacuation of City Hall for a short time. (laughs) Mr. McMillan does suggest that perhaps in Akron they've been watching too many Roadrunner cartoons we do note that the false alarm has apparently made Kaboom a popular figure as local media seized on his name and the uproar it temporarily caused. Kaboom says he made the name change official three years ago, but he's been using the moniker for years. It started out as a way to promote his former pest control business. Yes, his homemade rod walking stick, if you're keeping track, is apparently about four feet long, has duct tape on each end and, and his full name on it. Natural, hunk kaboom You know, it does take all kinds to make up a world. All right, and finally, it was both a bad and ugly week last week for ordering Chinese, at least in Kentucky, with news that the red-flowered Chinese restaurant in Williamsburg, Kentucky, was shut down for allegedly serving roadkill. Reportedly, Environmental Health Inspector Paul Lawson said it was the craziest thing he'd ever seen, noting somewhat incredulously, they didn't know that they weren't allowed to. Now, sadly, this story does remind this correspondent of a Chinese buffet outside the town of Merced, a place which I ate at on several occasions while I was living down in that uh, San Joaquin Valley town. It was a good value for your money, but when health inspectors down in Merced County found out that the rabbit they were serving was actually cat, well, that pretty much ground things to a halt. And this does remind me of what my uh, landlord, when I used to live on, uh, on C Street in Davis back in my college days, uh, said about his youth, which was that he used to supply the Chinese restaurants in Omaha, Nebraska with a regular stream of alley cats, which he brought to them. And it is sad to note that uh, the decades may pass, but some practices just don't seem to quite fully go away. Not that we are in any way denigrating the fine Chinese dining establishments located in the greater Sacramento Davis area. We would add that if by chance you do see Mushu Possum on the menu, we suggest you not order it. And on a more serious note, if they're still purveying shark fin soup, on the menu of your Chinese restaurant, go somewhere else. And when you do so, let them know why you're going out the door. All right, we haven't done any Only in America items for a while, so I think today's the day to return to that. All right, Only in America item number one, Dateline New York City, a convicted airport security screener who stole more than $800,000 worth of valuables over four years said he was part of a massive crime wave that preyed upon passengers' luggage and personal belongings. Pythias Brown, a former Transportation Security Administration screener at Newark's Liberty International Airport in New Jersey, told ABC News that he had exploited a culture of indifference at TSA that included lax oversight and ripoffs from crooked colleagues. It's so easy, said Brown who lifted cameras, computers, and other valuables from passengers' luggage. Brown, who served three years in prison for his crimes, said theft is, quote, very commonplace, unquote, at federal security checks. I know this to be a fact. I once put my Swiss Army knife inside my checked-on luggage only to find that uh, in the wake of the receipt in my bag showing that TSA's been through it, they also stole the knife. What'd I do about it? Nothing. What can you do? But I'm glad they put Pythias Brown in the slammer for a while. All right, how about this one? Dateline, California. A year after a so-called bounty scandal rocked the NFL with, I think it was the New Orleans Saints players uh, getting getting paid to do uh, injurious hits on opposing players, the coach of a California Pop Warner football team is accused of giving cash rewards to 10-year-olds for big hits on opponents or at least six players made that allegation against coach Darren Crawford. We hope that story's not true, but we suspect it is. All right, let's finish off this segment with some of those stats we talked about earlier. All right, according to Time.com, airstrikes on Iran's nuclear facilities could kill or injure more than 80,000 people, according to a recent study. The uranium conversion facility at, at Isfahan for example, is located on the city's outskirts. Toxic plumes from a strike would reach the city center within an hour, rapidly killing or injuring as many as 70,000 and exposing more than 300,000 people to toxic clouds of radioactive uranium. We may want to discourage the Israelis from launching that attack, eh? According to the New York Times, of the 375 tons of heroin grown for export in Afghanistan each year, only 3.5% is intercepted by Afghan authorities. That's according to the UN. So it looks like our military efforts there have been a big success. According to TheEconomist.com, the average American consumes the paper equivalent of five and a half 40-foot trees every year. Belgium, where the EU bureaucracy translates reams of documents into 23 languages, consumes a world-beating 8.5 trees per person annually. According to the bbcnews.com, Portugal has scrapped four of its 14 public holidays in order to boost economic activity. The debt-laden country, which is implementing a raft of other austerity measures, will suspend two Catholic festivals and two other public holidays for five years starting next year. And here's one out of left field, also from theeconomist.com. The world's busiest airline route last year, with 9.9 million passengers, was... What do you think? Well, if you said between Seoul, South Korea, and Jeju, an island that is increasingly popular with Korean tourists, you'd have gotten it right. And also, if you've been from Seoul or any place else to Jeju, South Korea, let us know what that's all about by dropping us a line, again, at info at radioparallax.com. Well, let's just do a couple more. According to uh, the Associated Press... America spent $2.6 trillion on healthcare last year, but a third of that spending, $750 billion, was squandered on unnecessary treatments and tests, Byzantine paperwork, fraud, and other inefficiencies, according to a new analysis by the Institute of Medicine. And finally, according to the Huffington Post, America's pets are even more prone to obesity than our human residents. An estimated 60% of domestic cats and dogs in the U.S. are obese or overweight and thus get increased risks of diabetes, joint and mobility problems, and shortened lifespans. meow, 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 on that note, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We got lots of stuff to talk about in our second segment, including a follow-up on uh, the movie The Master and a look at uh, an ADA lawyer who's been popped, which to our approval, I might add. Stay tuned. Meow mix tastes so good, cats ask for it by name. Yeah.